0: Us humans are obsessed with stories, aren't we? And we see this in the novel that we just can't put down, even though we've been sitting in the same chair for hours. And it's also manifested in that TV series you found yourself drawn into, and the next thing you know, you've binge-watched it for seven and a half hours, and you find that you've created a new divot for yourself in the couch, where you've been sitting that long. We know stories. Have this power on us because there are those books and those TV series that we keep going back to, those movies we can watch again and again. And there are jokes that make us laugh, even when you can quote them word for word. And there are pivotal moments in stories that will still bring a tear to our eyes, even when we know what's coming. And while we are drawn in by the latest and greatest season of a television series or the 27th or 280th movie in a superhero universe. There are particular stories that we can look back on and we find that they transcend time because they capture the imagination of people in every age. And what we've read in Genesis this morning is one of those stories. On its own... It is a compelling story. But when you mix in the background that we've been working through in Genesis, it makes it even more compelling, doesn't it? So as we do most weeks, we're going to divide this passage up into three points to help us maneuver through it because there's a lot going on here, and there's so many deep truths that we want to extract from the text. So the first thing that we're going to see is that God tests Abraham. That is what this whole thing is. The text tells us this straight away. This is a test on whether Abraham will trust God. Now this seems like kind of an odd place for this to occur, right? Shouldn't he have tested Abraham before he made a covenant with him? Wouldn't it have made more sense to put Abraham to the test before he blesses him with the child of the promise? Well, throughout the story of Abraham, we have seen the failures of Abraham. But now, after God has blessed him with Isaac, we see the biggest test of all. Secondly, we find that Abraham passes this test. As I just mentioned, we have seen Abraham's failures on many occasions, but this time, we actually see his success. Over and over again, Abraham failed to trust God. But, this time, we will see in one sentence of this passage, that Abraham finally gets it. He trusts God despite appearances and does what God has called him to do. And finally, we see that God himself provides the sacrifice. This whole story is amazing, but that is the pinnacle of the story because it points us to Jesus Christ and our salvation through him in a beautiful way. And in God's response in this passage, we see That once again, it points to you and I because the covenant is kept. The promise rings true. Through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and that includes you and I. And so, as we drop into this story for the ages, we're going to begin by looking at Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. As I mentioned when I was lining out the points, this is a test. And the passage tells us that very clearly. The first thing, though, that we need to look at is how this all starts out. We, we see it says, after these things. Well, and what's happening here is the passage is calling back on what we saw in the previous chapter. Isaac has been born, but we then see that even though the child of the promise has been born, Abraham isn't dwelling in the land of the promise and he makes a treaty with abimelech and sojourns in the land of the philistines and what we're meant to feel here is that there is a passage of time going on as we come to this story we do not have an infant isaac for we already have seen that he's weaned and obviously isaac is able to speak in this passage so he's older but that's the idea here is that we're seeing that there's passage of time And then after he's weaned, we see that Abraham is sojourning. We have the idea of a passing of time. Isaac isn't a small child anymore. We don't know exactly how old Isaac is when this happens, but the speculation is that he is in fact a young man. He isn't a child, and we'll see that this makes this story even more compelling as we move forward. And we see straight away... What's going on? God is testing Abraham. He speaks to him. And we don't know how long it's been since Abraham has heard that voice of God. But now, God has something new for him, doesn't he? Something surprising. Abraham's received revelation before, and it caused him to leave his country, and it caused him to leave his family, and go to a land that God had promised him. And these These commands that Abraham has followed already have led Abraham on quite the journey, and we've been brought on the story with him. But we've also seen that when God speaks a promise to Abraham, God keeps it. Now it may have been long in coming, but Abraham has seen the promise of God fulfilled in his son Isaac, and now that his son is the source of a test. Now, it's important to notice the language that God uses here in giving this test to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. Well, now, we don't have to go too far back in Genesis. We were just talking about this last week. Abraham has another son. Ishmael is Abraham's son. We saw last week that conflict with Sarah being concerned about the way that Ishmael treated Isaac. Yet God refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son, and it happens many times in the passage. You may have been wondering why I was putting emphasis when I was reading it on only. This is why. God hasn't forgotten Ishmael. In fact, he has made a promise to Ishmael that he will keep. So, why does God refer to Isaac as the only son? Well, God is speaking about the promise. Isaac is the only son of the promise. He is the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we track this promise back to Seth, back to the garden even, when there's the promise of the one who will crush the head of the serpent, and we can track it forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaac is the only son, because he is the child of the promise, period. He's it. If something happens to Isaac, the promise fails, and God is a liar. Everything rests on Isaac. And that is what makes this story and this test so interesting. God tells Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering. Now we know, like I said before we read the scripture, we know how the story ends, but if you come to this without that knowledge, you probably would wonder what in the world is going on. What kind of God is this? who would not only ask for a human sacrifice, but would put his own promise at risk. But it's clear that God does not intend to actually require the life of Isaac here. He is testing Abraham. Throughout the story of Abraham, we have seen that Abraham struggles in these tests where he has to trust God, where he has to believe that the promise is actually coming. He takes things into his own hands time and time again, well, here is the test. Will Abraham finally trust God? Will he believe that God will be faithful to keep the promise, even when it feels as though he won't? And once again, we're, we're drawn back into the drama that we have felt throughout this story. Remember what I've repeated so many times. The story of Abraham and Sarah is not a comeback story. It's a resurrection story. And the idea here is that there is no way that the promise can be accomplished without divine intervention. And now the drama has it seeming as though the one who has made the promise, the one who fulfilled the promise, is going to require that the promise be stopped. Will Abraham trust God and do what he says and believe that God will not break his promise? Has Abraham grown to trust God no matter what? Well, as we move from the test to Abraham's response, we see that Abraham is obedient to God. And we get the idea here that Abraham is committed to do what God has commanded him to do when we read this. He gets up early in the morning, he saddles his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him. We don't know why he got up early. You know how it is when there's something on your mind, you have some place to go, and you have trouble sleeping. And you get to that point, I might as well just get up. Maybe that's what happened with Abraham. We don't know and we can't know. But maybe Abraham is deliberate. Maybe he's decided to set his face to go and do what God has commanded. Either way, what we do know is, God, is that Abraham is obedient to what God has told him to do. And the passage gives us a lot of detail on what Abraham does. Abraham does. And the idea is that he is being faithful and he's doing what God has commanded him to do. We notice this in the fact that he cut wood and transported it along with them. Now, I'm guessing there were probably not warnings back then about transporting firewood from one location to the next like there are now. I'm guessing that wasn't a reality. But still, I'm guessing there would have been dry wood near where they were going. But Abraham wasn't taking any chances. He was deliberate to be able to do what God had commanded him to do. And so they travel, and on the third day they arrive. Again, a significant detail. Three days. Abraham had plenty of time to stew over this and turn around. But instead he continues on this journey. And imagine the feelings that Abraham must be having as they are traveling. There's likely casual conversation with himself and Isaac and the two other young men. But deep down, he knows what this journey is all about. I can't even begin to imagine what this, is, what this must have been doing to him on the inside. And as they arrive, Abraham lets the young men know to stay behind, and they load up Isaac with the wood, and Isaac ain't no dummy. He's observant of the facts. They've traveled a long way. They even went through the effort of bringing wood where's the offering? You can get wood anywhere. What are the chances that you'll find a lamb for the offering when you get there? So Isaac asked this question, and in the response, we see the great faith of Abraham. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Now that, that, that nearly moves me to tears every time I read it. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes I would not have had that faith. I would have run the other direction when my own son looked at me and said, where's where's the offering? Knowing that God had asked it to be him. But what does Abraham do? At the foot of the hill, they're about to climb and sacrifice his son. He believes that God will provide. And as we move on to verse 9, we see that They get to the place that God commands him to go and they build an altar and lay the wood on it. And then one of the most powerful parts of the story occurs. Remember what I told you as we started out this passage, right? Isaac is not a small child anymore. Abraham is more than 100 years old. Clearly, Isaac would be able to escape an old man and not be bound if he doesn't want to. And yet, what does Isaac do? He allows himself to be bound. Now picture this, picture this scene in your mind. The faithfulness of not only the father, but the willingness of the beloved son. We don't know the details of how this all happened, but Isaac exhibits great faith too. In not overwhelming his father and fleeing for his life like each and every last one of us would have done. And there's a beautiful picture in this, and you know what it is. It's the willingness of the Lord Jesus Christ to sacrifice himself for our sin. This is an echo here of Isaiah 53 7. We hear it every year around Christmas time, and it comes out of this passage. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And we're going to come back to more Christological elements of this story in a moment. But first we need to look at the action of Abraham. Notice that moment. Notice that moment that Abraham is willing to do what God has called him to do. He's willing to go all the way. He trusts that God will provide, but yet he still raises his hand to slay his son. So is Abraham sitting here the whole time thinking, any time now, God, any time, Uh, right? Is that what he's doing? doesn't matter. Regardless of how hesitant he is or what he is feeling, Abraham has learned to trust God absolutely because he is willing to slay his own son. And we read in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, that Abraham had such faith in the promise of God that he believed that God would resurrect his son if he were to plunge that knife into him and render his son, his only son, Isaac, lifeless. Look at what we read here in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, was, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. Now notice here in this. The themes that we've been reading in this passage and the themes that we've been reading throughout the life of Abraham are not my best guess here. Isn't something I'm making up on the fly? This is what the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to write. Abraham had such faith that he even hoped for resurrection if his beloved son were to die. He believed God's promise to him and to Isaac. And so we've seen that Abraham is tested by God and that God is faithful. But now we move on to the most beautiful part of this passage where God provides the sacrifice. The hand of Abraham is stayed By the voice of the angel of the Lord calling from heaven, he calls out to Abraham, and the reply of Abraham is the same as it was at the beginning of the chapter. Here am I. He's hearing that voice of the angel of the Lord again. And this time, instead of telling him to sacrifice his only son, God tells him the exact opposite. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Abraham has shown that he fears God and that he has finally learned to trust the promise. Along the way, we saw the failures of Abraham, but now he has succeeded because he has not withheld his only son from God. And there is something that I'm sure you're catching in the story and in that language that is used there. His only son. Where do we hear that phrase quite often? You probably have a verse memorized from the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What, what God did not demand of Abraham, he gave of freely himself. Now we often talk of types and shadows in the Old Testament. I know from conversations with some of you that you often appreciate the Christ-centered imagery in the Old Testament, but, but often it evades you. You didn't see it till I brought it up. Well, with this passage, you can see it clearly. God stays the hand of Abraham, but we know that he does not stay his own hand when his only son willingly gives himself to be sacrificed for our sins. And it's a picture for you and I to understand what the promised seed of the woman will do for us. And in Jesus, we see the fulfillment and we fully know the love that God has for us. And then we see it pictured here. Even further, because as Abraham lifts up his eyes, he sees a ram caught in the thicket. God has provided the sacrifice. Instead of the blood of his son being spilled that day, a sacrifice was made that God provided. Now picture this scene in your mind. Abraham and Isaac know that they are sinners, and that God can demand their lives from them at any time, He is the one who made them, and they have sinned against his holiness. And so when they've sacrificed in the past, they understood this truth. We forget it because we're on the other side of the story. But they understood when they made a sacrifice that that was mercy, that God was not requiring their blood but was accepting the blood of a substitute. They knew that God in his grace had spared them with every sacrifice. And now imagine as they are here, as they take that ram from the thicket and they shed its blood and it's spilling over the altar. It's a clear picture for them of how the blood of another spares them from the wrath of God. And the ram in the thicket points us to Jesus Christ, it points us to the sacrifice that was provided for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that saved us from the wrath of God. And with all of this done, God again confirms the promise as the angel of the Lord speaks. He tells Abraham that because he did not withhold his only son, he will bless him and multiply his offspring. And what we have seen here is that Abraham has grown in faith. And that's the point that I want to use for our application this morning as we move from thinking about how we can apply this passage as we step out into God's world this week. God was working on Abraham, and he's working on you. Even the greatest patriarch of the Old Testament was a work in progress, my friends. Throughout this story, we saw his failure to fully trust God, and God had to show him grace again and again and again. And I know there are times where we feel as though we are never going to get things right. We struggle with sin and we don't feel as though our faith isn't making much of a difference in our lives at all. But remember, God took Abraham from idolatry and it took time. But we ended up at this story at the foot of Mount Moriah. And he finally fully trusted God. He spoke that one sentence. My son, God will provide the sacrifice. He understood. Now, we see this process in Abraham, but what do we often think? We often think that God is going to zap us into holiness magically, but it actually takes time. And this story is a reminder of that. God works through means. And we need to hear the Word and trust that the Spirit is at work in us. And we need to take the sacrament and trust that God will work in us through it as He has promised to do. And so when you find yourself struggling, remember that God is at work in you. And if you are hearing the Word, the Spirit that indwells you will be at work to make you holy. And God will accomplish His work in you. And so this passage points us to the work of Christ just as the Lord's Supper does. As we approach the table today, may we remember the sacrifice that was provided in this story. The blood of the ram in the thicket was shed so that the blood of Isaac would not have to be shed. And as we take the bread and cup this morning, may we remember that the blood of Jesus was shed for you so that his blood was shed so that yours would not have to be for your own sins. And may you be drawn back into this story because it's the story of redemption. And may it give you peace, joy, and confidence in the truth of God, the truth that he will be faithful to his promise and he will continue his good work in you. Amen.